Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, the podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched High Heels. In High Heels, famous singer and actress Becky Del Paramo, played by Marisa Paredes, returns to Spain and reconciles with her daughter Rebecca, played by Victoria Abril. Shortly thereafter, their reunion takes a dark turn as Rebecca's husband, who is also Becky's former lover, is murdered and they are both suspected of the crime. Screenplay by Pedro Almodovar, directed by Pedro Almodovar, and premiered in Spain on October 23rd, 1991. Have you seen High Heels before? No, I have not. Me either. I've seen a couple of... I'm not sure Pedro's. how I'm pronouncing his. <laughs> I hope I, I think I got close. Uh, the accent is over the second O, and so I'm trying my best to properly pronounce it. Um, I, I've seen a couple of Pedro's movies before, uh, but not this one. Um, I don't know if I even really heard of the. This is kind of like one of those ones that flew under the radar, maybe a little bit more compared to his other ones. Yeah, I mean, he didn't become super relevant until All About My Mother, I feel like. Well, I think Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Okay. That Which was before this. So, I, I'd say was that. Put him on the map as he, being like. Yeah. A, prevalent director because yeah. i know what is this like his third or fourth movie um honestly i don't know it might be a little bit more than that i mean he did have a couple other ones oh he did he's done he's done quite a bit like matador and also time me up time me down i think were okay this is this. his ninth movie okay and labyrinth of passion i think also was before this so you know stuff that not everybody has seen but you might know the titles if you follow foreign cinema in general um but yeah, this one I think is probably just lesser lesser known. And watching it, I mean, I can kind of get why. I, it, the movie, just like pretty much all of his movies that I've seen, looks fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's very vivid. There's a lot of amazing colors and bright The style scenery. and the fashion. Yeah. The plot in this one... I don't know, maybe I just wanted it to go different places than where it went. It seemed like it was setting up a much more convoluted scenario than what actually ended up happening. Yeah, And I that's thought... what kind of, like, threw me off a bit. It's like, I was hoping for more complexity than what we got. Yeah, I thought the actor who played... I know they call him Judge, but... Yeah. He's a detective. And then I was looking... Judge Dominguez. I was looking up, is that who they call detectives in Spain. But I looked up that um, they have investigative judges. Okay. So it's like a detective. Yeah, but he has, like, but more they... authority to, like, 
Yeah, he's like the the lead detective or whatever. Yeah. Because the, the way they kept on calling him judge, I'm, I'm thinking about like a judge in a court or whatever. But then I was thinking like, you know, the... Because we watched it subtitled, so mm-hmm. I don't know if you know like the Spanish to English word. I mean, he's like detective means judge or whatever. Yeah, I don't. I I know in the credits, he's listed as Juez Dominguez. Yeah, but also two other yeah, that actor. Roles. I thought. I didn't realize it was going to be the same person. I thought he was playing three different people. I mean, yes and no. But yeah, I mean, I know what you, I, I know what you mean. So um, it, it it makes it again. It makes it seem like it's going to be more complex than it really yeah. was. So to kind of get into it, like Miguel Bosé is playing this triple role, where we first see him as a drag performer called Letal or Femme Lethal, and then. We see a, like a, a photograph of him as another role called Hugo. Uh, well, actually, that's a little bit later. And then we see him in, in this obviously fake beard as Judge Dominguez with his mom and then in the world. Yeah. The, his actual self. Like, when he's in drag, that's kind of like a hobby for him. No, he said he was undercover to investigate a different crime. So, like... But he he went so above and beyond to memorize Becky's routines and everything. I thought he was, like, a hardcore fan of hers and just was... I mean, it's it's possible that he knew that stuff because his mom keeps scrapbooks. Yeah, of her Of various different life. celebrities, including... Her, the mom, Becky, yeah. Becky de Del Paramo. And so maybe he just knows that from his childhood. But what he says at the end, when he's confessing everything to Rebecca, is basically, you know, I was there because somebody got shot at this club and I was investigating it and I went undercover to, like, learn more and, like, ingrain myself into this world so that I could root out the culprit. That's what he said. And that's why he appears as Hugo as well, as he was trying to work undercover yeah, as, as this like a druggie, junkie. as this yeah. junkie to get whatever happens there. So it's kind of, I mean, it makes sense, I guess, but at the same time, it's almost disappointing to have that explanation just kind of like thrown in at the end for a character that you thought would probably have more nefariousness to him. Mm-hmm. And nobody in this movie is a good person either. Yeah. So, I mean, that that also kind of leads to the whole situation. It's like, he's not a good... Like, when we see him as lethal, letal... Letal, yeah. A shitty person <laughs> altogether. Um, I... And the the whole thing with Rebecca and him. So Rebecca is going to his drag shows because her mom, Becky. But it's the final performance at that club because she sees him again. And that's his final performance again. 
you must be like must have been taking notes or something so um okay i'm taking mental notes (laughs) this is all It, it was at the same club yeah he came out of retirement because after the judge exposed the affair between rebecca and the little yeah. um okay when he confesses and stuff that she said i'm gonna go see his final performance and i was like wait i thought his final performance was the one she saw months ago it was supposed to be the judge created another final performance <laughs> just so he could set so up he this could, whole thing yeah to see her but yes. i was like I'm it like, wouldn't have happened otherwise. I know that, but okay. like, wouldn't Rebecca be like, "Hey, <laughs> that's Rebecca why I should have understood a lot of bullshit from the fake beard." Right? Shouldn't she be like, "This is like Batman and or not Batman, like Superman and Clark Kent yeah. situation." It's it like really he's is. he's wearing sunglasses and this fake beard, and she's not like. Oh, you look kind of familiar. Yeah, not even that much. She it's doesn't like, even say that. She's like, she doesn't even know. No. Even though, like, us as viewers, I'm like, oh, that's him. That's gross. Yeah, <laughs> so, but it's like she had this relationship with him because she would go to his drag shows because he would perform her mother's songs and she misses her mom because her mom left her when she was like 12 to go to Mexico for her career and her mom was gone for like 15 years so going to these drag shows she becomes like friends with him I guess so like wouldn't they be like hardcore very close that's what you would think like this is this is where like the movie already starts to fall apart like it comes so He's basically says like he's my best friend, but at the same time when they're backstage, she's like, I don't even know your name. Yeah, she just knows. I don't know anything about you. Him as Letal, and but then like, they in the like. Previous scenes, like, sleep oh, this together. is my best friend. Well, I mean, sleep together is a loose term because like he forces himself on her. Yeah. Like it's it's literally like, I gotta have you right now. Like this is well because this is my at. last time. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm. And I thought. And, like, it's this really weird, awkward thing where he's, she's, like, hanging from a pipe because she's trying to get away from this guy. And he's like, well, just spread your legs and you can get down faster. And, like, it just becomes, like, this gross, weird There's a scene thing. that's, like, a similar thing in the movie Live Flesh. Which is also his. Yeah. I don't remember that one. I did see that. Like, I That's saw that in Javier high school when I was... Um, Bardem, where he's, like, a cop and he becomes, like paralyzed yeah but there's a scene that's sim that there's a scene like that that's kind of like similar work and um like that yeah. <laughs> type of scene but it's it's supposed to be erotic maybe it was more erotic at the time i think this is honestly like one of those things where like it's still like 1991 and this type of behavior is okay supposed to be like somewhat charming or whatever like the overly aggressive like manly man but like not taking no for an but answer she, i think she thought cool. that he was gay yeah yeah of course she thought he was gay because yeah. he's a drag performer in a club and she was surprised she's like wait a second what's going on here but then right. she's like i don't want to do this because she's married for yeah one. she's married 
but and she two, didn't... like you're you were dressed up as my mother five seconds ago. Yeah, that's why I thought he had a hardcore obsession with the mom. They carried over to the daughter. They carried over to the daughter. It could be because like he's professing love to her. It's like I love you. Like, like we, we we should run away together type yeah, of a thing. Yeah. And she's like, I don't even know your name. Like, get away from me. Yeah. And, and he's like, Well, you got like I'm just gonna do you right here and now. Right. <laughs> but they don't show it. They just don't show him starting to like go down on her while she's hanging on a thing. Yeah, and then eventually they come down and, and they're on the chair together. They show yeah. a little bit of that, but Right. Nothing and... like super explicit, of course, but yeah, and um, that's why I was thinking, like, he, why he he was so obsessed with Becky, and he's like, well, he's probably really in love with the mom, but he's like, if I can't have the mom, I'll have the daughter. I don't know, because you never really see her, see him, like, try to hit on the mom. The mom? When she, when they are in the same room. Um, I, no, I think it's just, like, th- th- some... whatever bond they created however many times she's seen him perform i guess so it, it there's there's background that's missing in that whole situation that might have helped a little bit okay that's why i thought all right things are changing in my... but i mean like the, <laughs> like the reason thought... why she saw him again for their second final performance is because the judge is so obsessed with her mm-hmm. and you know well one like we're going to kind of go all over the place with this whole thing but um the judge reveals to rebecca that he knows that she had a one-night stand with the drag performer lethal mm-hmm. and, she's and like... so lethal's like oh well rebecca's like oh so lethal's like your informant then and like i mean you know like and and so like the judge quote unquote sets up this meeting with lethal so that rebecca can go see him and confront Lethal yeah. about this whole thing. But obviously they're the same person. Uh, but Rebecca doesn't know that. So that's why there's a second performance is so that like they can like be confronted. And evidently I think at this time the judge knows about the pregnancy, which means it had to have been his baby. Yes. And so he wants to again confess use this, this as an thing. excuse to profess his love confess to everything and be like let's go run away together let's be married yeah now that she's she doesn't have a husband anymore right yeah because the husband's dead <laughs> and that's a different story but yeah i mean it's it's what i used in the summary paragraph is the whole thing i think really the the meat and bones of the story is meant to be the mother-daughter relationship Which, but it's yeah. all kind of wrapped around this murder mystery that isn't that much of a mystery but the movie tries to play it up as much more of one than it ends up being yeah it's not like a whodunit no but it tries to be a point yeah i thought it was gonna turn into that yeah i thought lethal was going to be the killer i thought i i actually thought it was the mom oh okay (laughs) I, I thought it was going to be lethal, and there's a couple reasons why. Okay. And um, one, because of his undying love for, for Rebecca, Rebecca for whatever so, reason. Okay. Two, he knew that she was unhappy with the husband somehow. Three, when they were all sitting at the table together, he saw the gun in Miguel's 
like his undercoat or whatever suit or whatever and so i you know i just and also um for there were you know three people there that night uh the mom the daughter and then also before both of them the sign language girl on the news because rebecca is a reporter Mm-hmm. on the television and she has like a sign language interpreter right next to her who is also having an affair with the husband Manuel. Yeah, the husband owns the TV station that she works on. Right. So, so yeah. yeah. So the, <laughs> the so she was sleeping with him to try to get ahead. Yeah. Um and so since the judge was also there at some point I assumed that maybe sometime in between the mom leaving and Rebecca getting there that he showed up, killed Manuel, and then Rebecca, the wife, came home to find him dead. Yes. That there was actually a fourth person there. That's why I assumed was going to be happening in the story. That is not what happened in the story. So. Anyway. In a way, I'm kind of glad, I guess, because then that would, you know, lead the whole situation of like, oh yeah, the drag queen is the murderer. Of course, that's the villain. Yeah, which... We don't want it. Yeah, that, that'll happen in other movies that we yeah. watch. <laughs> we already kind of know that for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, it's it's difficult. I can I can definitely understand why you think the mother might be the murderer. I mean, they, they sort of leave that up to that. But at a certain point, like, I, I don't know. It's like a little bit more than halfway through, they erase all doubt. Because Rebecca comes home after being released from prison... Um, because she confesses on air to the crime. We think it's a false confession, or we're led to believe it's a false confession. Yeah. And then new information comes up where I guess the mom confesses to the crime. Rebecca comes home after being released from prison, and then immediately goes to get a screwdriver to take the gun out from the back of the TV that she hid inside the television itself. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, she had to have done it, because why would she know that gun was there otherwise? Yeah, because she put it there. Yeah, because she put it there after killing him. Yeah. So, that kind of ruins that whole... I mean, it also... In a way. From what we learn in the beginning of the movie... Yeah. That Rebecca already, quote, killed someone. Yeah, indirectly killed somebody. Indirectly. And I guess that's just like a foreshadowing into yeah she's gonna kill someone again yeah and the first time it was to protect her mom and to make it so the mom could do what she wanted but also because she thought she was gonna go with her, with her mom, mom to mexico yeah and spend time with her and mom this extra life so the mom was already like a famous singer she wants to go to mexico to be an actress the husband the stepdad alberto does not want her to go at all yeah, wants her just to be a housewife. Yeah, or at least just stay stay, stay in Spain and be a singer. Don't don't try to increase your possibilities. Like yeah. just leave it alone. You're good enough. Um, Rebecca thinks that she gets to go along with, and also knows that the mom's unhappy, and so she switches the pills, the uppers and the downers in the bottle, so that the dad stepdad falls asleep off camera on the wheel. And then we see, like, a news story because it's the husband of this famous singer who passes away through this tragic car accident, and that's how we learn. That Rebecca did yeah, Rebecca it. And then did. as a child, she, like, 
has no remorse. <laughs> She's like, I'm glad I did this. Yeah, it's like, well, Dad will be happy too, because whatever. Yeah. Um, because he didn't like Alberto either, and like we we established that Alberto is a shitty person. Oh to yeah, a degree. He, we can see that he doesn't really like Rebecca. But yeah, like kind of in, in, in a couple scenes. But I mean, like to to the degree of like murder, no. But um, so like when they're in a vacation. The mom's also shitty to her. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, so what What really kind of like cements Alberto's fate is that she loses an earring that was just bought for her and then she goes off to look for it, runs across some random guys who want to purchase the kid. They're like, oh, this is a really sweet little girl. Yeah, he, he starts joking and around he, with and him. And he's like, like jokingly entertaining the offer. He's like, oh, yeah. you'll, you you want to buy her for a thousand coconuts? No, she's worth more than a thousand coconuts. She's worth at least two thousand. Yeah. And so like they're all jump, joking around and she runs away upset crying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's experiencing some shittiness. But the mother is like going immediately along. self-absorbed in this entire thing no matter she's what. She's like, like ha, she, ha ha ha, whatever. Yeah, she's like, oh, Alberto, you're so funny sort of reaction but also like kind of doesn't give a shit about her child and that comes true also when we see her in the airport after the flashback is done when they reconcile and meet for the very first time she's like well why didn't you invite any press here like i'm back home I, this yeah is the first i mean back this home. is i think this is just like a theme in all of pedro's movies it's always like this tumultuous relationships between mothers and daughters or just like i don't want to say because Mothers and children. Sure. And it's always like the mother is this narcissistic person that just doesn't care. And it's like, oh, well, I'm going to go do this and I don't give a shit. But then their poor child has to deal with the trauma of their mom leaving them. But then when the mom comes back into their life and demands like more things from them. Yeah. But Rebecca is kind of, like, okay with it. Because she kind of just idolizes her mom. She's not, like, mad that her mom was gone for 15 years. Doesn't seem like. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, she isn't, she isn't. And, and like, in that whole, like, courtroom scene... Like, she wants to make her mom, like... She wants to look like she's also has a career for herself and has made it quote unquote by being like this TV. Cause when she, she's like, did you watch the news? Like when her mom first came back that right. night, she's like, I'm going to be on the news. Like you should watch. Right. But she like fucks up telling the news. Cause she's, she's like laughing during the story. There's like a story that she tells about a murder and she's kind of laughing. And even the sign language person is like, what the hell? So, because she, and she said the reason why I was like that was because I knew my mom would be watching and I was nervous. So she just wants to always look good and perfect for her mom, so her mom could be proud of her. It's more than that, though, because in the, in the, uh, the scene where they're confronting itself, like, the judge, you know, like, releases her from prison and, like, puts her into the, the empty courtroom where her mom is already there, and they have, like, that big blow-up argument where they're talking about, like, um, the movie Autumn Sonata and, like, making like direct comparisons to that movie and and what's happening in this one. She basically says, like, this is the only thing I could could win at 
with you. Like, it's not that she wants, to, like, her mom to be proud. She wants to be better. She wants to, like, compete against her mom and, like, mm-hmm. beat her at something. And it's like, I was able to beat you, and I got Manuel. Where you tried and you failed, I got him. Right. Like, that was, like, an actual, like... Like, it wasn't about love of Manuel for Rebecca. Yeah, she just... She's like, this was yours, uh, and now person. it's mine, I win. But she... It's like they didn't even... Yeah, they didn't even love each other. She was just like, oh, I got this guy, because I know I can rub it in my mom's face. Basically. And then just stuck it out because of the situation, I guess. Um, so, yeah, Manuel... Shortly after Alberto dies, we see Manuel as part of the flashback as well. It was like, uh, I don't know if you confirmed things. I did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because this is a very confusing uh, thing for us. But let me let me go with the plot first, and then we can talk about like the, the visual confusion of it. So um, Manuel was there in 1974 interviewing the mom about how she was going to go to Mexico and become an actress for the very first time. And you can see there's like sparks or whatever. And then shortly after that, we see a flashback of them on the beach, like thinking out, you can see like that they had this affair. And now Manuel's here. Once the mom comes back home, she didn't know that Rebecca married Manuel. She did not attend the wedding. She hadn't really talked to her daughter in a long time, had no idea that this was the guy. That her daughter had married. Yeah. It was somehow never came up in all the conversations. They never the, like, in communicated that level fully between each other over the 15 years she was gone. And so she's shocked when she enters the car and sees Manuel there. Um, <laughs> and so. Uh, That's why I thought And the Manuel mom is very did. quick to say that this is like, you know, like I hate my own wife. Like, like when they're having like dinner or whatever. Yeah. He's like, yeah, like. Your daughter's a dipshit, basically. It's like, like she, like immediately goes into like bad mouthing her. Yeah, I, I married her because I was like still in love with you, but it's been basically. like fifteen years. Yeah. And they only had like a small affair. I guess who knows. <clears throat> um. So, yeah, it, it's it's a really weird situation, but those flashbacks really threw us off visually. Yeah. Because we both knew going in that Javier Bardem was going to be in this movie. We saw him on the cast list. And we thought for sure that the person in 1974 and in this flashback scene on the beach was Javier Bardem dressed up or like put into makeup to look older than he was. Mm -hmm. Then taking screenshots before recording this. Nope. (laughs) It is the actor who played Manuel uh, Theodore Atkin just wearing a wig. But I swear I saw a scene where the mom was making out with Manuel, but it 100% looked like Javier Bardem with a wig on. It looks like Javier Bardem looks now with the wig on. But when you look at Javier Bardem's scenes in this movie, he is super smooth-faced, young young guy. So, like, those scenes, they would have had to put, like, little potch marks on him. They would have had to, like, wrinkle up his skin. And I don't think they did that. I think they just put a wig on the dude, and they just happened to look very similar on profile. Like, that... Feodor... Feodor, yeah. And Javier... Feodor then looks looks like like Javier Javier now. now. And that's what threw us off. 
That's okay. Yeah. Because we were imagining like this big whole subplot in our own minds of okay, well, like Javier Bardem is Javier is Bardem gonna... going to be a central character and like you know like no, he was in it for like two minutes. Yeah, and like you know, is he because he appears in these flashbacks? Is he going to somehow like? No, it was just yeah. Like us he had an obsession with the mom now daughter. Yeah. So but that wasn't it. That wasn't it at all. It was just us with both having the same visual like, trick played on ourselves. Like, this is like some Mandela effect where we saw the same things or something. Yeah, basically. I mean, if we would have seen this in 1991, we wouldn't have given it a second thought. We would have been like, oh, they just put that dude in a wig. Right. <laughs> but because we know what Javier Bardem looks like now, it, it, it was uncanny to us in those brief moments. Because those scenes are very short. Uh, so yeah. it's tougher to yeah anyway that threw us off we wanted to show that uh, but yeah Manuel's a dick the mom's a dick Becky's a dick the judge is Even a like, dick everyone's yeah, a dick yeah Javier Bardem is not he's just this TV station manager <laughs> he's just standing by the monitor like with his mouth wide open because because that's when she, she confesses, confesses the murder crime. and he's like what do i do yeah he's basically just like a stagehand who's like you know if you need anything let me know like that's his line in the whole movie this is one of his first movies so mm-hmm. that's that's that <laughs> uh can we talk about the the women's prison and how weird yeah, the, that is too the women's prison looked like it was some sleepaway camp dorm room situation which mm-hmm. i was i don't know i was like is that what our prisons like over there but who knows and like, they all have bunk beds in one giant room it looks like a school and nobody's wearing a uniform no they can you know, wear their own they're clothes just wearing their own clothes and they're allowed um they're all decorating like, their own stuff. In yeah, like the, it's, yeah they have, like, like posters, and, and they have their own radios. They can do whatever they want in their own little space that they have. Basically. But yeah, it really does look like a summer camp with, like, a very long haul of bunk beds, and that's it. No separation, no cells, and they're just kind of there. And then, like, it's an open-air thing. It seems like they could just come and go wherever they want within this complex. And then you have, like, this random dance sequence <laughs> yeah. that pops up. I'm not sure why that existed exactly at I, all. I just read that it... Uh, I don't know why he did that, but I just read that it's just an unexpected prison yard dance sequence to reference other famous musicals shot in fake prisons like Elvis's Jailhouse Rock and stuff like that. Okay. But I don't know why... Pedro wanted to do that because they do this dancing that they all know this uh like merengue type dance that all the prisoners just knew how to do mm-hmm. unexpectedly I mean I do like the music in this movie a lot yeah. and the song that they were dancing to I liked yeah, I don't know the names of any of the songs. I'm sure they're on the soundtrack, of course, but um, or the soundtrack listings. And I know that the score was done by Ryuichi Sakamoto, who's the Golden Globe winner for Last Emperor. Um, 
an Oscar winner for that as well. And also one for Sheltering the Sky and was nominated for The Revenant. Um, but a lot of the music is honestly more of just, you know, 70s Spanish pop music. Yeah. Which is something we don't get to hear a lot of. So it, it was a very weird thing. Um, but it also introduces Paula to us, who we get introduced to before. I have no idea why she's actually in the prison. That's probably something that I miss while making She's notes. a social worker for okay. the women there. But she isn't, like, helping to break up the fight that happens at all. Like, she's... So no, at she times confronts she feels them. like she's... Yeah, she gets, like, involved and, like, fights her instead yeah. herself. So, like, it didn't seem like... It, I guess it's because of that scene specifically that she didn't seem like she was there to help people because she's giving Rebecca drugs for one. Like, she's, like she's, she's there, like, okay, well, I'm going to... wanting to be friends gonna... with her for some reason? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like she, she specifically... Like, specifically fights. So I don't know if she's just yeah. saying that she's a social worker and that, like, that's just, like, a... Oh, because a code she's, word. she saw Rebecca on TV confess to this murder. So she's like, oh, I gotta be friends with her? I don't know. But we see Paula briefly in, uh, ahead of time uh, in a quick scene at a photo shop. Uh, where her pictures and Rebecca's pictures got mixed up, and they're like, oh, this must be yours, this is mine. And Paula has a picture of this guy named Hugo, who looks a whole lot like... Letal. Letal. Because it's a beardless... Well, actually, he has a goatee, doesn't he? That's why I was like, do you not realize that... Like, Okay, in the picture, he does have a goatee, but... The judge just has a full beard. Just full beard. I'm like, you can't recognize this guy. He also has very distinctive teeth. If you look at his teeth, right. And we I know, don't know. I don't. Know. It's just it's strange. Um, That's why I thought he was the same actor was playing three different people. Right. Like we weren't supposed to know. Yeah, that it wasn't supposed to be. One person like trying to tell the viewer, like, yeah, that's not him until it is him, right? But I was like, that's him. I don't know. (laughs) Their their obtuseness was making us second guess ourselves. Yeah, it's making us feel like we're getting we're getting gaslit. (laughs) I don't know. So anyway, um, yeah, at the prison, Paula like shows pictures of Hugo and. He has the same, like, mole or wart on his dick that <laughs> Rebecca saw when she got accosted. Right. Well, she Okay, it all starts because Rebecca's, like, helping him undress. Right, and, and then he's backstage. like, now take my tights off. And then she's taking his clothes off. And she, and like, she's his like, oh, dick you have, like, pops a mole up. on the dick or whatever. And she's like, whoa, you got a mole on your dick. Yeah. But then that's when he started to like, and then he's like advance yeah, towards it, her. Um, it was bad, whatever. Uh, and then, <laughs> but Hugo, Paula took a picture of his dick as well, and she saw it. We don't see it. It's all that's camera. so like weird. Like here's a picture of my boyfriend's dick. Yeah, I don't know, showing off, I guess. I just, I was like, whoa, okay, we're going there? he's supposed to be dead. I mean, we don't see it, but it's like, they're, you just show, like, a random woman. Yeah. 
All right. I don't know. I'm not. I've never been in that women's prison situation to know for sure how those how those things go. Um. Anyway, so yeah, like Paula is confronting this woman and fighting her because she has Hugo's jacket and that person who has Hugo's jacket says that she got it off of a dead guy mm-hmm. and shows the picture and be like, yep, that was him. That was the dead guy. Uh, I don't know how that played out because yeah, he's clearly alive and I so maybe he's in really on confused. that and just gave the jacket and said, this is your story. This is how you got it. If anyone asks you. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I was confused by that. Um, so, I mean, that's that's where Paula is to sort of, like, give Rebecca this idea that Latal and, and Hugo are the same person and maybe they're both dead. Um, or at least plant the seed in her mind that, oh, this could be two different people. I don't know. Anyway, like we said, the movie's supposed to be a relationship movie between the, <laughs> mother the mom and, and the, the daughter. daughter. But, I mean, it goes back to... So when... Rebecca gets sick, like she faints or something. Yeah. And she's taken to the hospital in this prison. That's when they tell her that she's pregnant. Yeah. And it's, the judge finds out somehow and that's when. Yeah, because they're going to report it back to him. Yeah. And that's when they release her. Yeah, because he's he's hoping for a nice clean start with her. He wants her. He knows that she did it, but he wants her to be innocent because she's having his child. Exactly. And so, meanwhile, while she's in prison, her mom is back doing her singing career. Yep. And it's like people just don't give a shit about their family members. Well, I mean, she does kiss the stage when she gets back, and then she's like, well, I'm going to dedicate this song to my daughter, and then she cries a tear that but falls. But I thought like, that was, like, performative or something, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, there's obviously, like, a level of fakeness in her. Um, yeah. But then, after that performance, she... We don't see this. We hear about it, that she claps and falls, and she has, like, a heart attack. Yeah. She has, like, a hidden heart condition that she didn't mention. Right. Because of the trial. And so now she's dying. Yes. And then Rebecca is released from prison and goes to see her mom. And then, you know, the judge is there. Yeah. Why? I don't remember. Probably to keep tabs on everybody. On on Rebecca, just to follow her. Well, I think also the mom wanted to confess. And so she called the judge there to confess to him on her deathbed. But he's like, we need evidence. Right. And that's when Rebecca is, she knows where the gun... Know, yeah, they, they still don't know where the gun is. They haven't right. found the gun. So, like, Rebecca goes and gets the gun, then goes back to the hospital so her mom can touch the gun and have her fingerprints on it. And then that's where the credits roll. Like, that's the very last shot. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. With her going to her mom? Yeah, her the mom touching the gun and leaving her fingerprints and giving the gun back to the daughter, that is the very last shot. They have a conversation, and that's when they... That's before. Yeah, so like she... Okay, she grabs the gun, they have conversations, and then 
at the very last scene, Rebecca brings the gun. Right. And gives it to her mom. But yeah, the conversations are all... No, they have a conversation because that's when... They're like in a basement or something. Because Rebecca looks out and she hears high heels. Mm -hmm. Like someone walking with high heels out the window. And she turns and looks and tells the story about... Every time I hear high heels, I think of you, mom. Because I always waited for you to come home. She turns around. Her mom is dead. Right. And then that's the end. Yeah, but it's the last scene. Yeah, that's the last scene. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I thought when you were saying the conversation, I thought you meant like in the ambulance or something like that. No, that conversation was the last scene. Okay, okay, okay. Not the giving of the gun. Okay. I mean, yeah, she gives her the gun, but then after that, they have that conversation about the high heels. So yeah, high heels. (laughs) You're right. No, you're right. Uh, um, I was mixing up two different scenes in my mind. Yeah. I think she was at home at this point. She was. Yeah, the mom was back at home at this point, and she dies dies at home at at her childhood home. Yeah, because this is uh, it's it's meant to be metaphorical. This basement apartment that she grew up in, and uh, there's high up windows, and she saw like when the mom was a kid, she saw the high heels and people walking by, and she always thought that somebody was going to get her. Mm. Somebody was going to come and get her because they're like a poor family or whatever, and they were afraid of something. Um, and then, yeah, like, the daughter always associated with high heels of, like, oh, maybe my mom's coming back. Yeah. And so, like, every once in a while, when you see these scenes that take place in this apartment, you see, like, shadows of people walking past uh, behind the curtains, which is a nice little little touch there. I think the literal title for this movie is Distant Heels. Yeah. Is what I read. So, high heels, it works, but distant heels makes more logical sense. Yeah. I mean, you can't call this movie Distant Heels. They'll be like, okay, what? I mean, you could. I mean, it's High Heels that much better. High Heels honestly makes it sound like it's more of like a uh, erotic movie than it is, you know? Right. I mean, even the cover. Or like it's about fashion or something. And it's not. It's like distance heels. It's just heels, about women least, wearing high heels. <laughs> it, it's not even about women wearing high heels. That just happens to be like a motif, right? Uh, from their lives, distant heels. I think at least gives like a little bit of mystery to it. It also lends to the relationship aspect because you are talking about spatial relations. So, I think the literal title is a better one. So this the Spanish title. I don't know how to pronounce that. Is is the better one? Um. I mean, I thought the movie was okay. I just, I thought it was going to go to different places than it did. Like, the acting is largely strong. No, I, I actually, it's yeah. very melodramatic, especially in the beginning, but it's still very, I feel very, like very we strong. shat on this movie, but I actually really like this movie, so I mean, it's just like... It's just plot holes. It's right. Just, you know, and and again, there's not really like a character you root for at all. Yeah, just everyone is horrible, but it's not, but you don't hate them no you're just kind of like why are why are you the way that you are but it's through family trauma yeah 
Yeah, and obviously, like, the visual side of things is amazing, like, pretty much as, as always, what you see here. Um, I don't know if you have this info, maybe you do, but it was um, selected as the Spanish entry for Best Foreign Language Film. Right? Yeah, but it did not make the five. Which, it... I would pick this movie over Medit. I would pick any other foreign language movie over Mediterraneo. I mean, yeah. Yeah, virtually all of them. Yes. I would have seen if this was like all in the, ones the that five. All the seen, I think. Yes, I would pick over Mediterranean. Yeah. Um, but I mean, does it beat Farewell My or uh for Raise the Red Lantern, the, sorry. No, but I would <laughs> does rather... It, does it beat... Uh, I would rather have good movies chosen than yes, not. And I don't know. Instead of, like, this weird thing where, like, a lot of the plot device revolves around a f very fake beard. Right. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's... You know, every movie's worth watching once, right? We say that all the time. Um, anything else we need to talk about with the plot? I think we pretty much covered most of the confusing aspects of it, but... Yeah. Okay. So we can get into a little bit of the, the awards and the casting crew, because there are some important people here uh, that we've talked about in to some degree. At the Cesar Award... <laughs> so we're talking about the Cesar Awards first. It won for Best Foreign Film. We're talking about the French Awards first for a Spanish movie. It won Best Foreign Film there. It was Golden Globe nominated for the Best Foreign Film, but not Oscar nominated. At the Golden Globes, it lost to Europa Europa, which was a 1990 movie. Mm, yeah, not, not, not Europa. Not Europa slash Zentropa. Right, but Europa Europa. Uh, and then at the Goya Awards, which is Spain's like main film awards ceremony it did not win anything but it was nominated for several including costume design makeup and hair editing sound and oddly best supporting actress for christina marcos who played paula uh okay <laughs> of all the people in this movie to give a supporting actress or actor nod to it was paula who has like five minutes of screen time total and I don't get it, but sure. I'm. She was fine in the she movie. She was fine, but I mean. But I I do like Victoria Abril and Marissa I do like Paredes. her. Yeah, I like both of them. Like, were they both lead? Are they like co-lead? Maybe I don't know how they set these actresses. Things up. And but then neither of them got a nomination at all. Paula is supporting but i mean you might as well have that other girl who was the sign language right person <laughs> be supporting i don't know anyway um uh, yeah that that was isabel miriam diaz oroco was um isabel the uh, sign language girl uh pedro almodovar director and writer of this oscar winner for the writing of talk to her also nominated for directing that movie BAFTA Award winner for All About My Mother, Talk to Her, and The Skin I Live In. Nominated for several, including nom uh, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, Live Flesh, Bad Education, Volver, Broken Embraces, Julieta, Pain and Glory, Parallel Mothers. 
and we can talk about some of his other ones as well. So yeah, you know, well celebrated, tons of nominations, and you know, I'm honestly surprised that Parallel Mothers didn't get more award recognition than it did. Yeah, but that was another. I that's another movie where. I mean, I liked it, but the main storyline about Penelope Cruz's character finding out about, like, her family history and that yeah. whole thing. Yeah. That was, like, I think it's just meant for people who grew up in Spain, because when we were watching it, I was like, I don't know the significance of this. Yeah, I agree. That's one of those movies where it's, like, beautiful in its own right, but at the same time, I think to get the full impact of that movie you need to have some historical background. You need to, like, you about need to know Spanish about... Civil, the Spanish Civil War and how it, right. like, affected Spain yeah, and yeah. the people who grew up in Spain. Because then you'd have, like, a much deeper understanding of, like, the split storytelling that's happening in there. Anyway, we're getting off track. We, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the main thing is, like, he's made a lot of great movies. Um, Victoria Abril, who played Rebecca... Uh, is in the 1991 movies Lovers, A True Story, and Un Opi... I'm sorry, this is French. I apologize. Un Epoque Formidable. I'm sure I butchered that. Uh, she's a Goya Award winner for Nobody Will Speak of Us, When We're Dead, also nominated for Baton Rouge, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, If They Tell You I Fell, No News From God, and also 1991's Lovers, A True Story. Uh, Marissa Paradise, who played Becca Del Paramo, the, the mother. She's also been in several of Pedro's movies, um, as well as Flower of My Secret. Goya nominated for that. And then also she has a 2018 Goya Honorary Award. She's also been in other movies like Life is Beautiful and Devil's Backbone in the English language here and there. Um, you might be talking about Miguel Bosé a bit, or maybe not. He's a Yoga Award winner. Yoga is like um, another one of those stinkers and Razzie Awards, whatever. So Yoga Award winner for the worst Spanish actor for this movie. Like, okay, aside from his acting career where he was in the 1991 movie The Most Natural Thing, he's also been in things like Star Night, Suspiria, the 1977 one. But he's also been a musician for about 40 years. Yeah. Or so. so I wasn't sure if you're going to talk about his singing career. And he also has a Paramount Plus show about his life where it's like... Um, it's a fictional show where someone is playing him in his younger days, okay. but it's all about him. It's called Bose, a Paramount yeah. Plus show about his life. So he's like well-known and very long, long singing musical career with some acting sprinkled in there as well. So that was Judge Dominguez slash Hugo slash Latal. Um... We got uh, Feodor Atkin, At Atkine, as as Manuel. He's been in a couple of things like 1991's Blue Note, uh, La Homme de Neo, The Party, Nature, Mort, uh, Love and Death. Uh, he's also been in some older ones like uh, Bolero, Pauline at the Beach, and also Ronin with uh, Robert De Niro. Um, we'll talk about Javier Bardem last. I want to quickly mention Susanna, who was like the leader of that dance sequence and in part of those. You know, women's I mean, I thought sequence. it was a cool scene, but I was like, why, though? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just to showcase Bibiana Fernandez, who played Susanna. Uh, she's a, a trans woman who has been in 
acting stuff for, I don't know, like since like the 70s. Right. Uh, and so maybe it's just to sort of like showcase her abilities a little bit. Um, she also has several music albums, including like Lady Champagne. She's been in movies like Change of Sex from 1977, Law of Desire, and also Matador, which is another Pedro movie. Uh, so she's she's there in there. Um, and then Javier Bardem, <laughs> who's, who's just a guy next to the monitor, uh, Oscar winner for No Country for Old Men, nominated for Before Night Falls, Beautiful, and Being the Ricardos. BAFTA award winner for No Country for Old Men and also nominated for Beautiful and Skyfall. Golden Globe nominees for The Sea Inside, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. And then a whole bunch of Goya wins and nominations like Number Days, Mouth to Mouth, Mondays in the Sun, Sea Inside, Beautiful, The Good Boss, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and then also a couple of Razzie nominations for Mother and also Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. But this is like his only 1991 movie, so there you go. We can move on to true crime and pop culture. Okay, well I guess I will talk about Bose a, okay. little, a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, I, I don't know any of his songs. Cause, I, mean, I don't know any of his songs either. They didn't reach international no, but English is, language acclaim. So. Yeah, he has... But somewhat recently, he came out with, this is in Latin America, MTV Latin America, where he, his 21st album was released as a Bose MTV Unplugged, which I thought was interesting because they don't do that here anymore. No, I think they maybe tried to briefly bring it back when, like a... A few years back, like me when the Paramount Plus was starting up. Starting out. Quickly abandoned it. But it was uh, recorded on MTV Latin America, and it was on May 12, 2016, his 21st album. And it was a covers album, but all these songs are not songs that we would know here in the United States mm. but it has a lot of other Latin American artists singing with him and also just participating in random songs with him but he did 16 songs some of them do you know the band Juanes that's like the no. only band I recognize out of all the his featurings no I don't actually oh okay I will say it's interesting. That I don't <laughs> think he does. I don't think he does any singing on this soundtrack at all. No, even though he, he was he an established artist. Yeah, yeah. I think it's almost all female singing. Yeah, female-led songs. Right. Yeah, he he lip sings, but um, yeah, he doesn't perform on this. Even though he was an established singer at the time. But that was his last um, recording, which okay. is two thousand sixteen. I mean, he's. That, that was his 21st, so I mean, just imagine, he's done 21 albums from, like, 1980 to 2016. Maybe since then he's just been working on getting this show off the ground, I don't know. But, yeah, he's well known in the Latin American community, and he performs in South America, Spain, and he sort of does that 
now. It looks like his last performance was in 2019. But then that's when I saw a little thing that he was an active denialist of wearing masks during COVID-19. And that was the last thing I saw about him. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if he was canceled or something, <laughs> I but yeah, I haven't seen anything after 2019 about him. But okay, going to, I'm just going to talk about TV again. So this movie was released on October 23rd, 1991, which was a Wednesday, but it was the same release date as House Party 2. Oh, okay. And Curly Sue was October 25th, but a lot of stuff we probably already talked about. But on TV, I don't think we spoke about this because I don't remember talking about it, but on TV, on NBC, there was a TV movie that we do have on our list and it was Danielle Steele's Daddy. It is on our list. And that had 19 million viewers. Our house was not which, one of those. No, I, I don't think I watched... I mean, my mom read her books and I think I've read some of her books, but the premise for this book is like, eh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Because they're usually like steamy romance novels or something. Yeah, I think so. This one is kind of like Mr. Mom. Oh. So it's a, the plot, well, the star, it's, it's star studded. So it yeah. stars Patrick Duffy and his wife is Linda Carter. There, Kate Mulgrew is in it. There's Ben Affleck is in it. Matthew Lawrence is in it, probably as one of the kids. Mm -hmm. So this is his second dad movie. He did that all... <laughs> yeah, the second dad movie. His second dad movie of the year. Because, yeah. <laughs> what was it, All About My Father? No, the Summer My the Father. The Summer grew Father Grew... Oh, my... Which we saw. Yeah, his, so this is his second dad movie of the year. And then Jenny Lewis in it. So a lot of known people. Yeah. So the plot is pretty much a about Oliver Watson, who is played by Patrick Duffy, who is a successful advertising executive who's been married to his wife for 20 years, Sarah, who is Linda Carter. They have three children, an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 10-year-old. And all of a sudden, Sarah announces that she wants to go to graduate school, which is 200 miles away from their home, and poor Oliver Watson has to be the father of his three children while his l wife goes to finish her dreams of going to grad school and becoming a writer and starting a career instead of being a stay-at-home mom. So he has to be the mom. Yeah. And it's not a comedy this time. I bet. Yeah. Danielle Steele's so, not known for her jokes. No. So I'm just, when I was reading this, I was like, oh my God. But yeah, it sounds like Mr. Mom or something like that. I don't know. If, 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 if we get to it, <laughs> we'll see. I feel like I would just be rolling my eyes or something. So that's probably what you were watching because this did not release in the U.S. until... 
late 1991. I think yeah, it's like the December. movie high, high Heels. Yeah. Yeah, I think it released it? in the U.S. in December. I mean, I was not watching this, but on <laughs> on CBS it was the World Series, which I think that's what we talked about before the Atlanta Braves versus Minnesota Twins. I think yeah. Yeah, that probably but, would have been on. on but uh, nineteen million viewers for this movie is crazy town. Not bad counter programming to sports, you know. And so we'll move on to rankings and ratings. Then, where on your one to five star scale are you going to put high heels? Um, I mean, I know we like talk shit about this movie, but I liked it, and I'm gonna give it a four. Okay. I mean, I liked it too. But I think all of our complaints are valid overall. But it doesn't mean that it wasn't shot well. It doesn't mean that there isn't great acting in this movie. It doesn't mean that there isn't like some good stuff. On my 0 to 4 star scale, I'm going to say it's a 3 out of 4. So comparable to you. I think if... I don't know. I think if more was done with the judge character that made more sense to me, then I would have given it... A higher rating or if they would have added a little bit more intrigue i feel yeah, like a little they... bit more mystery to this murder that happened yeah either lean a little bit more into the mystery side of things or lean a little bit more into the relationship side of things because i feel like they're trying there's like too much of a balance and it, like they canceled each other out a bit but i i get how this movie is just like a stepping stone to Pedro's other movies because they all have like similar themes. It, it, yeah, yeah, I can I can get that too. I it's been a long time since I've seen a lot of them, and some of the major ones I have not seen, like Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, um, or Time Me Up, Time Me Down, whatever. So that kind of leads me into the question: Every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Yeah. I would too, but I probably would want to watch a couple more of his other movies first. I would like to watch his movies before this, because I don't think I've seen anything... Yeah, like Matador or Labyrinth of Passion or before something like that. Ni- I guess the, the first movie I ever saw of his was Live Flesh, and that was like late 90s. That was, yeah. I saw that in high school with a friend. So... Anything before that, I would like to see. We got some options. We got some good, well-regarded options, at least. Uh, but if you out there want to watch High Heels, as of this recording in June 2023, it's available on digital rental, VHS, or imported DVD. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991movie for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're going to conclude our Pride Month. <laughs> if this qualifies for Pride Month, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about Thelma and Louise. That's available on Prime, Cinemax, Turner Classic Movies, Digital Rental, VHS, DVD. We'll see you then.